he was like, can you build this? And the answer was no. But I had, I think, less than $5 in my bank account living at home. And I was like, yeah, I can do that, no problem. And so I built that over three weeks, incredibly stressful, teaching myself along the way. And he's like, oh, this works. Like, we have a ton of other work for you to do. Would you be interested in just, like, continuing to help us build out this different tech? I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised LA, and I created We Are LA Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Hi, this is Joseph Ogin and I'm a product manager. I built platforms used by AOL, Coca-Cola, and National Geographic. I love listening to We Are LA Tech because Esprit and her team really make it easy for us to understand the LA Tech community and really break down how companies and users can utilize this new emerging technologies to build businesses and connect with their communities. You can follow me online at josephhogin.com. That's Joseph Hogin, H-O-L-G-U-I-N.com. So I wanted to change the podcast production. I've been podcasting for two years remotely because of the pandemic. And before that, it was always in person and in the studio. I was in the studio for We Are LA Tech. And for Women in Tech, I traveled to over 100 countries interviewing women in, in person. And... I was just done. I wanted to be in nature. My friend, Abby, was asking me, what do you want out of your life? And I said, oh, God, I just want to be in nature more. And I do love podcasting, but I was I really didn't like the format anymore of podcasting that I was doing. And I was feeling constantly on the verge of quitting. And as I was walking, talking to Abby, I'm like, wait a minute. How about parks and podcasting or walking and podcasting? And and it's so funny. I, I was giving a speech the next week and I was telling them about my idea. And somebody goes, oh, can you send me examples of podcasts that do that? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I just thought of it. Like, I've never heard a podcast do that. I have all the gear. Let me just go. And so I asked Tyler. I was afraid to tell him, hey, okay, we're going to meet at a park. It sounded kind of creepy. So I was like, look, I'm really trying to stop remote podcasting. Would you be down to meet in person someplace local to you? And we're here and I, I took him to a park and then I forced him up a steep hike. Okay, so we're, we're going to start. Okay, let's do it. All right, let's do it. I, I think. This is so much more fun than my normal life. All right. All right, let me know Let me when the interview starts. Or was that a ploy? Is nope. the interview actually not a thing? No, it, it, it like was I'm, a ploy. I feel like I'm just the guinea pig to test what the equipment would look like on the go in a park, but the interview doesn't actually exist. It, it may be true. Yeah, that's fine. We are LA Tech Podcast, spotlighting LA Tech companies in town. So excited for our next guest coming at us from Brentwood. We are doing an experimental episode. How much do you love being outside right now? Oh, this is great. All right. We found a spot. Uh, now, yeah, I was the guinea pig that just walked 25 minutes up a, a pretty steep incline, and that is why I'm still catching my breath. But <laughs> it is a beautiful view. I tell people that I live in Brentwood. This is a very different Brentwood than where I live. These yeah. houses are incredible, and this view is unreal. And I already had a faux pas with the mic. I forgot to turn the mic on. I'm like, why can't I get it to work? So 
It's been a while since I've used these mics. <laughs> and I think we finally are situated at the top of this hill. Mics are working. Yeah. We've caught our breath, and I yeah. think we're ready to resume after that 25-minute hike. <laughs> we are ready to resume. Also, just got to give a quick shout-out to my mom, who is my biggest fan and listens to every single one of my podcasts and always oh, says mom. says very nice things about all of them, even when I don't think I articulate well. So, shout-out, Mom. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. So, Beehive is an all-in-one product studio for newsletters. Newsletters have definitely grown a ton in popularity as of late and my background working at Morning Brew, building a lot of the tech there and helping scale that company to an eventual exit. There's just been a, an explosion of really talented writers and creators working in the newsletter space and we are powering and building the tools to help them scale and monetize. Morning Brew started off as a daily aggregator of business news with like a conversational and witty tone. It was Monday through Friday, quick five minute read. They have since experienced expanded to seven days a week. They have vertical newsletters in the B2B space, so retail, emerging tech, and a bunch of other verticals. So they are a newsletter powerhouse and got acquired by Business Insider back in 2020. I find Beehive so inspiring, especially because of your background in growing Morning Brew and understanding aspects from all different angles of newsletters, from creative to marketing to the technology that happens behind it. And so you were sharing with my podcast community this morning about the advertising stuff that's going to come up and how you're going to help support creators be funded in creating what I call their art in creating a newsletter. You get the world, so who better to build this technology than someone who's already done it and had huge success behind building it. Give us context. What was your direct involvement in Morning Brew related to its growth? I joined back in 2017 as the second employee, doing everything from product engineering and growth. The story of how I started was actually pretty funny. Austin, who's the CEO, actually reached out to me. And at the time, the Skim and Axios had these like social share buttons at the bottom of each story yeah. to share on social media. He was like, can you build this? And the answer was no. But I had, I think, less than $5 in my bank account living at home. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. No problem. And so I built that over three weeks, incredibly stressful, teaching myself along the way. And he's like, oh, this works. Like We have a ton of other work for you to do would you be interested in just like continuing to help us build out this different tech? So I started building the referral program, which was wildly successful at Morning Brew and ended up working like 50, 60 hour weeks on contract. And eventually it was like, you just want to join full time. So it was a total like accidental stumble into that role. But yeah, I joined as a second employee as the only one, the only engineer on the team for the first year and a half or so. So built out the referral program, built the website, built the email templates, early days, the first employee, who is Neil, who's still there, the managing editor, he was the writer who was patient enough to copy and paste each story into an HTML template every night. And then at midnight, we would delete something accidentally, and we'd have to start all over again. And that happened numerous times. And when we decided we needed to hire additional talent, no writer wants to copy and paste for two hours a day. So we built a custom CMS that was fully built from the ground up, optimized for email, exactly for what our use case was, which was an email-focused media company, yeah. which is fairly rare. I feel like most media companies are web-first or, or video. And so built that CMS and then another ad management platform later with a team of engineers. And so Morning Brew, which I think we may have had on the hike up, is initially the core product is a five-minute business read, witty conversational tone, incredible writing. And 
the tech behind it that powered the content creation, the monetization, the growth with the referral program, the data attribution and everything, that was all custom built in-house and gave me a really unique opportunity and a lot of white space to kind of build in that area and really just facilitate the team to, to help grow and scale. And Morning Brew had a huge exit. Yeah, so they were acquired by Business Insider back in 2020. Um, so for what we were always not made fun of, but just a, a email first media company started in college by Alex and Austin to get acquired by Business Insider. Uh, definitely an, an awesome exit. And I think shed a lot of light into the power of email as a channel. I think I shared it with your group earlier today, but just talking about the amount of money that was being made every time they press send just for a single newsletter. And the way that email scales, like we had a team of five at one point where we were churning out a newsletter five, six days a week. Granted, they went for more of like a venture scale media business, which paid off with the acquisition. But we could have had a very healthy business of five people printing anywhere between I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars per newsletter. Um, so just like the power of having an audience and being able to monetize it. And I think that a lot of content creators have understood that recently and, and pivoted into email. When you have someone that truly understands the inside and then represents that community, it's way more powerful than someone's like, oh, that looks like a, a great niche to capitalize off of. Like, it's just such bullshit. So, yeah. As someone who's tried launching, I think, like two or three crypto side projects back in college <laughs> and right after college, all that failed miserably. That was an example of me seeing a hot area of like a lot of hype thinking that I maybe I'm above average smart and have the right contacts and might be able to like work my way into a success story and it not working out because right. I knew nothing about the space right. and tried to fake it. So, I mean, even just like from fundraising into like getting users, the founder market fit, I would say is like a term that's tossed out a lot, but really intricately understanding the space and being in the weeds of like the dog days of morning brew where we were pooling like the most like nuanced data and trying to find data points and ways to grow or sitting right next to this co this very talented content team of writers and like this unbelievable sales team that was generating absurd amount of revenue and like hearing their complaints and what was bothering them on the day to day and then building tools and processes to help streamline that is like a very unique perspective that I feel pretty fortunate to say that I benefited from being in that position and I'm not sure how many other people have had that experience in the newsletter space specifically to take something from uh, nascent to 3 million plus subscribers. Yeah. So yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and coming at it from something with experience versus something I've tried with no business doing, the uh, the differences are pretty jarring. What would you tell everybody who is already with AWeber, with MailChimp, with ConvertKit and all these competitors? I am 100% inspired to move over to Beehive. I want to create on Beehive simply because you've created it and I really trust the future of the technology of Beehive because of that. So what would you tell people like me that have been with another platform for years? Why should we truly deeply consider making the complete switch? Yeah, and I think it starts with understanding your goals and like your processes and what you're trying to achieve with your newsletter. So some newsletters are trying to be the morning brew of X and actually want to be a publication that sends content routinely and monetize that. Other people use newsletters as a means to an end to sell a course or to get people in their ecosystem or just remain top of mind to their community. And so I think part of it is understanding that and like your existing framework and what your pain points are. And I think I laid it out this morning fairly well and understanding what the different players in like the email space at large 
And so going to like an Aweber or a MailChimp, like they are an email service provider who sends emails. If you want your content hosted on the web and collecting email leads, like they have subscribe forms, but they're not like a web solution, like a WordPress or a Webflow. And then there's also whether or not you want to monetize with premium subscriptions, whether you want to scale with a referral program, whether you have a data analyst in-house to provide all of these types of insights. Those are like kind of the questions that you'd want to ask, like where your core competencies are. And I bring all those up very selfishly as well for the sake that like that is kind of the all-in-one comprehensive solution we're trying to build, where it should be pretty flexible and agnostic to whether or not you're going the media route or just it's a means to an end to keep your audience engaged and push products. You should be able to have best in class like SEO optimized website to collect the data you need on your subscribers, mm-hmm. understand who your readers are and grow. And it should be pretty seamless because I would make the guess that most content creators aren't technical. Yeah. And so our goal is to abstract all of the tech lift away from what the content creator needs to focus on so they can focus on what's important, which is creating amazing content. 100%. If you gave us three precise tips on the best way to grow our newsletters, I think in the beginning of becoming a creator, it's really frustrating. It's like, how do we get to 100? And then how do we get to 250? And then how do we get to 1000? What are three actionable things that you notice that people really aren't taking the time to do? I, I know the classic stuff is like, be consistent. <laughs> know Damn, your audience. That, that's actually so not a me answer, but that was actually where I was going to go with the first one. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, because I mean, it, it, maybe it's just top of mind, but one of our larger content creators, they just tweeted out like his chart that shows like in the dashboard of Beehive. I saw that on your tweet, yeah, yeah, on your so timeline. That was just, so inspiring. He just crossed 9,000. What he, was he doing? I asked that on Twitter. But like before that, he goes, I was stuck between 400 and 600 for yeah, like six months. That's what I saw. And just spinning my wheels. Yeah. And so I'm not a just like stick with it type person. Well, I am, but like that's not the cliche advice that I would give. Yeah. But like seeing that and maybe because it's top of mind, I just like if you believe that it's interesting content the world is so much bigger than you think it is especially remote and with like content online that if you find an interest in it i'm sure there's thousands or hundreds of thousands of others wait that's all that he was consistent and all of a sudden he went from 600 to like well, nine thousand. well then he moved to beehive so uh, wait so you think because he said that in the tweet that it was be- what do you think I'm it not was about take beehive? All the credit, right? Like for well, sure. No, but what do you think it was about beehive? I mean, the low-hanging fruit answer that I also will yeah. give the disclaimer that it's not like a silver bullet yeah. is like that referral program that worked really yeah. well. We did I mean, and we aren't like the first ones to ever think of a referral program and the skim did it before us yeah. and like we mi- mimicked ours off of yeah. theirs initially and then innovated the hell out of it. But like at Morning Brew, that referral program led to over a million subscribers, which is massive. We had one reward at three referrals. You got like an exclusive Sunday newsletter. Yeah. We had over 100,000 people in that Sunday newsletter. Wow. So 100,000 people that have shared at least three times with other wow. people. There are so many newsletters that wish they had 100,000 people. And that was just the people who had shared more than three times. Wow. So it, I also give the disclaimer, it isn't a silver bullet. Because a lot of people think like if I have this tech that is a referral program, I'm just going to skyrocket my growth. If half of my audience shares with just two people and that streak continues, we're going to be at 10,000 in no time. And the truth is, like, you really have to understand your audience and know what is the reason why they signed up and what's like an actual incentive that makes sense to offer as part of a referral program. So it's like, I guess the second suggestion is like really knowing your audience. Yeah. And people overthink it. Like, how do I know? I knew you were going to say that, though. But but honestly, (laughs) like, if you were to ask and people always say, like, how do I ask people to share? I'd be like, honestly, at the top of the newsletter... As simple, like, if you've been enjoying this, just, like, forward it to someone who you think might enjoy this as well. It's always, like, my first 
point of advice that I give and people turn around and say, we saw like the biggest growth day ever by just wow. asking people. So I think people think it's like, cause it is fairly isolating. You're in your setting, you create your content yeah. and then you press a button and it's out in the world. Yeah. You don't understand that the people receiving it, one opted in to receive it, hopefully. Yeah. And like they are very res- completely hopefully I cannot stand yeah. it when people add my email to their list it's and, like and everyone's kind of like on their own like they're on the subway commuting or they're yeah. at the office like sometimes you need to break them out and actually just have an action item in front of them of yeah. like if you enjoy this just forward it to someone who you think would enjoy it as well and like that works really well so that's like caveating with like the know your audience and kind of ties into the referral program which is just like Morning Brew did like t-shirts and coffee mugs and everything else, but it worked because we had such a powerful brand and the writing was so conversational and witty that people really resonated and it felt like their best friend was talking to them in the newsletter. Not every like finance newsletter has that brand. So if you offer a t-shirt or a mug, like odds are people don't want that. What worked really well for Morning Brew was understanding people signed up because they wanted to be informed about business news and like in the know of their friend group. And so at three referrals to get like an exclusive newsletter with more content was a home run because that's why they signed up in the first place Right. is they wanted to be plugged in. And if you can brand it as like some cool exclusive extra plugged in piece of content that only certain people get, it's a direct aligned incentive. Um, so I say that. And then like one other call out, we have a newsletter on Beehive that people love, Milk Road. Very great success story in the sense that they came to us with no content no emails, nothing. Yeah. They built the, they, they bought the domain. I'm so excited to get started with Beehive. <laughs> they, they, bought, they bought the domain yeah. as like, and we helped them set it up with their yeah. DNS. Granted, they, Sean Perry is a part of it and like he has oh, a big audience yeah. himself. So, like, he has the, the million. Yeah, mil- my first million. My so, first million so, so it helps to have an audience. So I will caveat, it's not yeah. like some crazy underdog story, yeah. but to go from zero to well over 100,000 subscribers in four months, and like they plug into our referral program, and I won't give exact numbers, but a large percentage of their audience has come through the referral program. And what is interesting about that is like they didn't overdo it with like 15 different rewards and stickers and t-shirts. They spent a week creating a PDF about the state of the crypto market. Yeah. And at one referral, you get that PDF. And it's so simple. It's not 10 referrals, it's not 20, it's like super attainable in one referral. And it's just a one-time PDF that they create yeah. and share when you hit it. And it's a direct aligned incentive of understanding. Like, that's why the audience has signed up for this newsletter. And we're just going to give them more content and brand it as exclusive. And it's been a home run. So I just say that with, like, one, a referral program isn't a silver bullet. But it does help to really understand your audience and think why they came to you in the first place. And if you are going to have a referral program, that's where I'd start with the incentives. Okay. I have a domain. I believe it's podcastmentor.co. I'm going to have that one on Beehive with with podcast tips or whatever. Yeah. Like, that, it's going to be that domain. And it would be my little experiment. Easy. And I'm then, nervous. And then we'll win you over. You'll see how seamless it is. And I'll move everything And then you'll move over. everything else yeah. over. Yeah. So that that is, like, a piece of feedback we've kind of gotten of, like, People are always like, oh, there's so many email tools. Like, there's so many. And, like, I can go on for an hour of, like, how we're differentiated, what we're building that's very unique to the ecosystem. And, like, the grand goal of being able to help you scale and monetize, I think, is, like, very unique from what other companies are doing. But we also have that, like, user interface where, like, I think typically you think of an ESP as, like, a very clunky enterprise software. And, like, the analogy that we get is, like, notes, like, note apps. There's, like, Apple Notes and, like, Evernote but you use Notion and it's such a better experience and like you know, it's hard to like put a finger on it, 
but like the UI and like it's just so easy to use and like not what you're expecting out of a note app and like we've gotten that a few times of just like plugging in the beehive it's like a very seamless not enterprise feeling software with enterprise level features and more coming soon so yeah uh, I'm excited to have you try it tell me about your co-founders how did you meet your co-founders yeah so my co-founders Ben and Jake I actually hired each of them at Morning Brew as software engineers. Oh, cool. So Ben was, I mean, I was 22, 23 at Morning Brew as like a manager. And my first hire I ever made was Ben. Yeah. And I mean, I've worked with tons of engineers like in the engineering school at Maryland. And he was just the most creative engineer, like so communicative and thoughtful. And like one of those people that would come in the next day and be like, I don't know if you'd like this, but I kind of like spent last night doing this. And it was 10 times better than anything you'd ever expect. Plus, wasn't even something he was supposed to be working on. Yeah. So it's like one of those type of players. And when I went to start to build Beehive, I was like, I mean, he, no brainer, the person I'd bring in to work on this. And he goes, I have one other friend that's like the smartest person I know. And I go, well, you're the smartest person I know. So if he's the smartest person you know, which is Jake, I was like, well, I mean, this seems like a no brainer. Yeah. So that is kind of like the co-founding team. I worked with them each briefly. Well, Ben for a long time at Morning Brew, a few years. Jake was on his way in as I was on my way out in 2020. But yeah, two software engineers. They were at a prior media company before and then Morning Brew. And are they in LA too or are they still in Baltimore? They are in New York. So I I went from born in Baltimore, went to the University of Maryland, but moved up to New York for four years and then just moved here in November. They both moved up to New York back in the olden days where you had to be in person in office. So (laughs) when Morning Brew pre-pandemic was in the office, they moved up to New York where I was as well. I think they're actually both relocating out of New York just part of that spread of not having to be centralized in a city or pay incredibly expensive rent when you're working from yeah. your apartment all day anyway. Um, so I think they're scattering elsewhere. That's what we have to do here. But they are they are <laughs> in New York now. Uh, we, have a, we have someone else in L.A. We have someone in Maryland. We have someone in North Carolina, someone in Utah. So we're pretty all over the place. And you said you even hired someone who handles your social media now. Uh, you delegated fast at what point did you think because you know that's a debatable thing whether the founder maintaining the founder voice founder culture so at what point did you think no let me not invest my energy there and how did you pick the person it seems like you're a person who really knows how to pick people so yeah delegation is definitely the hardest thing i think to do to go from your founding team doing everything and then finding people that you're trusting to do it hopefully better than you and better can look different in so many different ways so like better might be drastically different than how you've thought about it and how you've been doing it to date. But yeah, we found he's actually an intern. He's at Northwestern, I believe. Oh, nice. Uh, shout out, Avi. Hey, uh, Avi, like my Avi, friend yeah, who yeah. helped me inspire this. Hey, Avi. He, Avi number two. <laughs> he reached out to me, cold email out of the blue, saying yeah. I'm looking for an internship opportunity and Beehive's top of the list. And we chatted. He talked about how he started a Twitter in November and he's at 30,000 plus followers now in, in what, seven months? So I was like, okay, he knows Twitter. He knows how to grow an audience. He was talking about creator uh, economy type content. And it's just one of those things that like at some point, like what are things, I think I'm very real with myself and understanding what are areas that are lacking, whether it's bandwidth or time or like skill expertise. And like, because all of our attention is being put on Twitter and like, that's how we've been growing to date. And I think we were tweeting at the time four times a week from our account. Like that was just a clear area that could be improved. How many people are on your team? So we are eight right now. 
mostly engineers, which I think is like our real advantage is yeah, we're not a team, no offense to anyone with like an MBA or whatever, but we're not a team of like MBAs that are thinking through different optimized business models and running Excel sheets and then like looking to hire outsourced tech. We are, all, the whole founding team is technical. So it's me and my two co-founders, Ben and Jake, all engineers. We have an incredible CTO. We have another engineer through and through. I, I, the team's very talented. But the fact that we lean in with a tech forward team just allows us to like receive feedback from a support ticket. Like it'd be really nice to do this. And we launch it 24, 48 hours later because we really lean into mm -hmm. that user feedback. And I think that's what's really differentiated us. And maybe we've benefited from being smaller. So we've been able to do that. But there's still an opportunity cost in giving up whatever we were working on to lean into this user feedback. And I think it's paid many dividends in the sense that I think users respond to that and acknowledge that. Whereas a lot of enterprise software, not that we're necessarily enterprise software, you could you could file a support ticket and they might not even incorporate that feedback for months or quarters. So, yeah. How many people, if you're uh, if you're comfortable saying, do you have on the platform now? Yeah. So active newsletters who are currently sending, we're approaching a thousand. Oh, congratulations! Um, in the past, what is it? It's been six months since we launched, That's and, a big and deal. no paid acquisition. So. Yeah, we have a pretty wide range of customers from like hobbyists that are just doing a newsletter once a week about whatever to media companies that are venture backed and like building on top of our tech to companies at large that aren't even a media company, but have a newsletter and are using us to power it. So it's a pretty wide group of customers. And just knowing the email space at large, the overlap in features is actually very similar. Um, so like we are building for the power user who is a hypothetical morning brew and going all in on becoming a venture-backed media company. And we're so affordable at a price where these smaller creators can access those same enterprise-level tools. And, and I think that's why it's resonated with a lot of people. What's the biggest email list that, not the name, you don't have to share who it is, but the, the quantity, what's the biggest email list you have? How many subscribers do they have? Over a quarter million right now. Wow. But in a lot of active conversations, and hopefully by the time that this airs, these yeah. active conversations have come to fruition. Yeah. But well over a million for some of these. That's awesome. I think a lot of it is like, traditionally, I feel like the top tech talent doesn't go to media companies for whatever reason. And maybe because it's been historically web-based uh, WordPress sites that you're just building and pushing out content and making small incremental changes. And so a lot of these newsletters have scaled without having a ton of tech talent. Like yeah. I, I know several newsletters that are well over a million subscribers don't have an engineer on the team. Yeah. And so it's gotten them by because they're primarily email focused. But there's a lot of optimizations and additional features and everything else that they could have in like an ecosystem like we're building. And so the sell is fairly easy. But I say that with like my job day to day is a lot of those things that don't scale of like almost like sales calls of just convincing a newsletter creator or media company why they should use us. And it's been very effective to date. We have people, not just in Los Angeles, but around the world listening. If you had an ask, what would that ask be? I'm assuming it has something to do with raising money. What would the ask be? We're exploring raising money. We're fortunate where we're in a spot where we have plenty of money in the bank. And we are growing revenue 50, 60% month over month since we've launched. So that's been really exciting. That being said, I believe we found product market fit. And we have a real opportunity to accelerate what we've done. And I'd love to raise a bit more capital, make three to four more hires in the next few months. So that is like a potential ask, I'd say. And hopefully, I mean, we're, we're rounding third on this fundraise, potentially. 
So hopefully by the time that this airs, that is no longer an ask, but I'm, I'm always open to introductions. A, a more immediate ask, would one just follow us on Twitter, whether it's me, my co-founders, or the Beehive account? And it's free to sign up. And I would love if you have a newsletter, interested in a newsletter, to just sign up and get a taste of what we've built. Because I think it's really special. Yeah. And I would love other people to kind of share that. You know, I'm even fine publicly sharing it makes me nervous even saying it, but publicly sharing like uh, with this podcast mentor experimental newsletter, like how it grows. And uh, it's scary to even say, it. you know, what's scary is starting something from new. I'm like, oh, my God, what if I fail right away? And then I look like an idiot. You know what I mean? It is like the, the quintessential building in public, which yeah. like I have embodied entirely. And I mean, knock on wood, if we had any wood near us. We, <laughs> Wait, it, we were sitting on it. We do. We are sitting on a tree stump right now. <laughs> Things have gone really well, so it's been easy to talk about the good times for sure. So hopefully those continue, but I, I think people do resonate, and there's a lot of people that have reached out to me directly saying, like, it's been really interesting to watch your journey and see everything. I think it gets annoying at times to constantly, especially when it's mostly good news, being yeah. like, hey, we just hit this milestone, we hit that. And I don't ever want to be that person, but I do think there are people that are curious about playing around with different ideas and building businesses. And to see someone tweet fairly consistently a few times a week of like what's bothering us and me, what problems we're seeing, and like the upside as well. Um, I, I mean, there's plenty of content creators doing similar things. So that's my way of saying you should definitely publicize it <laughs> and hopefully watch us watch you succeed. But And you're from Baltimore and moved to L.A. Why build your company here in L.A.? Austin's popular. Miami's popular. Obviously, Silicon Valley. Why was L.A. the right choice for you to build Beehive? Yeah, is my Baltimore accent coming out? Because I get made fun of that every now and then. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, um, <laughs> I've honestly had my eyes set on L.A. for six, seven, eight plus years. For me, I, I feel like I'm fairly simple and like I just love the weather and I'm such a beach person. So find me a large international city that has nice weather and a beach. And in the U.S., I think you've narrowed it down to Miami and L.A. And I just think California is so expansive and beautiful and like so much opportunities. It's very different from the East Coast that I've grown up with. So, yeah, the sell for L.A. for me, it's always been beach, weather, California. And you surf, right? Uh, I have a surfboard in the background of my Zoom calls. But it's just... Like it may have, no, it's not for sure. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, I'd probably go out once every week, once every two weeks. That's good. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's an obligatory hobby to pick up once you move yeah. out here. Uh, but it's so relaxed. Where so, do you go? Where do you surf? Uh, weather, usually like down in Manhattan Beach mm, or totally. Malibu yeah. are the two main hotspots. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm such a workaholic and I'm always plugged in and stressed to be able to go out on the water on like a Saturday morning and have the sun beating down on you, no phone, no distractions. It's so relaxing. So it's been a fun hobby to pick up. How important, I mean, this, what we're doing right now, podcasting in on a hike in a park for me to try to switch things up. It's an experiment. How important are experiments to you in building? Yeah, I think in general, I could summarize a lot of what I've accomplished in my life through being out of my comfort zone and being way over my head all the time. So whether it was like going back to college and majoring in engineering and starting a company simultaneously and thinking it'd be a good idea to do research in the lab at the same time of those three other things to telling Austin at Morning Brew that I could build something I clearly couldn't and extremely stressed for the three weeks trying to do that to being 23 years old at Morning Brew managing half a million dollars a month and obviously now starting Beehive and everything else. So like I've always put myself, for better or worse, 
in very stressful situations out of my comfort zone and way over my head. And I'm also just someone who's incredibly competitive and wouldn't give up. And so that's kind of forced me to be in a position where I will outwork anyone more or less. And like, that's really kind of like my work ethic and style. So it's caused me a few gray hairs for sure. Um, I've had, I had zero when starting Beehive and I think I'm at like 30 so or so <laughs> now, but like, yeah, putting, experimenting, being out of my comfort zone, trying new things is like, I think how both personally and professionally how you grow. So totally aligned with that. And have you raised money? Yeah, we raised 2.6 million uh, last August from Social Leverage is our lead. They're in San Diego and, and Arizona, I believe. But yeah, and then we have a group of about 30 strategic angels who are incredible, ranging from content creators who have a large newsletter, who have a large following on Twitter. And we haven't paid for acquisition to date. It's been a lot of like things that don't scale. So reaching out to different content creators who have a newsletter, seeing someone complain on Twitter about XYZ platform and saying, we actually have a solution that solves that exact pain point and just selling them on the vision. Um, and then, yeah, the investors that we have have been tremendous in promoting our content and our updates. And like, it's been a real growth engine in itself. So I kind of viewed that fundraise just as much as like the money that we needed to hire as a growth strategy to help build this organic mm -hmm. PR engine, more or less. One of my initial mentors via Sequoia Capital told me the same thing. It's a strategic partnership. When you're raising money, you're not just raising money, you're getting into a relationship with a strategic partner that could help your company grow. How useful has Los Angeles been in the growth of your company? Meaning, have you accessed resources here or made contacts here that led specifically to the growth of Beehive or helping you build Beehive? I definitely need to get out of my room more and, and tap into the LA ecosystem. I've been to a few happy hour events and met a bunch of like awesome people out here. If anything, on a personal level, I'd say when I when I lock myself in a room for an extended period of time, to be able to walk outside and it'd be 75 and sunny every day, mentally has allowed me to keep pushing without like getting depressed. I know like the dog days of winter in New York when it's like cold and gray and gets dark at 3.30, 4 p.m. It's like really hard to be heads down on a product that's like stressful and tiresome to build. So I think like the mental clarity, even going back to surfing and just having that as an option has kept me sane. So I, when it's time to go, it's like pedal to the metal, heads down. And when I can take a step back, it's beautiful and relaxing to be on the beach. Who's an LA tech talent or person or company you've come across who's really impressed you? It's a great question. I feel like the big one that is like kind of cliche would be like Snapchat is yeah. LA based. So mm -hmm. like as far as like large tech companies who've decided to like bunker down in Los Angeles, like they definitely stand out. I've, I've met a lot of interesting founders. And they're coming out, out with the Pixie drone now. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what I thought you were playing with initially was that drone. I've gone to a few happy hours and met like a really talented group of people. It, it does seem to be pretty creator economy focused out here. But yeah, I mean, in general, I think people have been hyping up the LA tech scene for a bit. And you definitely see it when you go to these events. I think uh, Brex hosted an event in yeah. Santa Monica not too long ago. And I think they had to turn down 150, 200 people and 200 plus people showed up. So like there's definitely something here. And I think people are still kind of coming out of the pandemic and finding their own pocket of people. Mm -hmm. And I think there's been such a migration of people either leaving and moving elsewhere or new people coming into mm -hmm. L.A. where you're kind of like resituating like your circles and, and like the different hangouts. But, yeah, I mean, I'm super excited to get plugged in, especially with the summer coming up. 100 percent. 
what is an activity? If somebody were to land in LA right now for the tech scene, what would you recommend? One that they do just personally, like we're sitting here looking over Los Angeles at what's it called? Crest Crestwood Hills. I have no idea. I can't idea remember. I have to look it up. Somewhere on the top of Brentwood. I have and to look that up before we. I think it's. I don't, I don't want to touch my phone now. I think it's Crestwood Hills or something Brentwood. What would you recommend somebody do in their personal life, and then where do you recommend they go to immerse themselves into the LA tech culture? Yeah. And I'll be honest, I'm struggling to answer this in the sense that I, when I, I'm not exaggerating when I say I sit you, in my room for my 12 to 14 <laughs> hours a day. Like I have a great setup in my room. I, I went from <laughs> the biggest hater of remote work. Yeah. Like when I was at Morning Brew at the time in 2020 and when they were like, oh, we're going to go home for a week and see like what's going on with this whole pandemic thing. I was so pissed off. I was like, I'm going back in the office. Like that's where like the cold brew is. That's where my monitor is. Like I can't just sit on my couch and do work. Yeah. And I was like so upset to now the idea of going into an office and commuting or like just taking the time out of your day where I can't wear comfortable clothes and eat lunch or eat whatever and have everything accessible. Like the convenience factor is 10x anything I've ever had. And then just like searching for talent. I tweeted the other day, but I was like, it seems so archaic to think that if we're looking for a new engineer, which by the way we are, so if you're a talented engineer, shameless Amazing. plug, yes. definitely reach out. Wait, but, where should they reach out? Uh, you can DM me on Twitter, so dank underscore tweets, hopefully in the show notes, but um, it's definitely we, in the show notes. we also have, uh, the more official way would probably be careers.beehive.com. We have a few positions there. But yeah, the fact that we would look for an engineer and say, oh, you need to be within a 30, 40 minute drive of like this office location, just ignoring the other 5.9 billion people in the world that could be perfect for that position just seems so archaic and odd to me. And I can't ever imagine doing that. So we do, I mean, I'm going totally off topic here, but we do biannual or semi-annual retreats. We went to Austin about a month ago and that was super fun. And I think that's a great mix of giving people an opportunity to meet and work in real life and build those relationships off the remote aspect. But I mean, I am such a pro remote <laughs> person now. It, it's amazing. What's your fave mobile app or website? I'd say recently we use linear a lot for product mm -hmm. management. And the reason I bring, I actually just got off a call with a friend who works at uh, blade helicopters and he was like hey we, we need like this he was basically describing a product management tool and if you google product management tools there are so many of them it's like the most overwhelming search of all time and everyone's kind of like searching for like their ideal product management tool that works well for their team we found linear last october and it i mean as far as like relative to the other tools that i've used it's such a nice interface so easy it plugs in with slack they aren't paying me for this promotion. Although they should <laughs> if they have an affiliate program. But uh, yeah, Linear is like an awesome... It's very dev-centric. So like more of like an engineering team, like monitoring tickets and tracking that. But that's been one of those rare softwares that's just super enjoyable to use. Who is a must-follow for you? A must-follow? It could follow. be a, a podcaster. It could be a Twitter user. It could be a YouTuber, a blogger, a newsletter writer. It could be anybody. That is a great question. And I'm trying to selfishly not think of someone I want to get on Beehive and just call them out and promote them as a you, way like to James warm Clear? up to them. I, okay, so I did say that earlier. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm obsessed with James Clear too, so same page. Just because I'm, I'm struggling to think of another answer, and I did say it earlier because it's very timely. You were, you were, someone asked a question earlier about different 
content types for email. And I went everything from like an aggregator, like a morning brew that's like a deep or a deep dive analysis on politics or whatever, to James Clear, who has his three, two, one newsletter that I, I'm going to mess up the order. It's like three quotes to something, one question. Yeah. But it's such a streamlined format mm-hmm. of content. It comes once a week and it's so refreshing and thought provoking. And so I think that is like a very interesting use of email and also a great way to flex that it's not like a one size fits all. So many people want to be the morning brew of this. Yeah. Or they look at like a thought leader that does like super long deep dive content, which is amazing. But like depending on what your goals are and what you lean into, there's so many ways to use email to your advantage. And so I, I, I've always thought his is one like very enjoyable and like very unique in how he delivers the yeah. email. So that'll be my cop out answer because you already kind of fed it to me. Um, but yeah. I'm going to also add um, Dylan with a newsletter called Growth Currency. Have you heard of Growth Currency? Yeah. I think it's growthcurrency.net. We'll include it in the show notes because I need to be sure about the URL. But it's definitely Growth Currency. If you you Google Growth Currency, Dylan, you'll find it. Complete read-worthy. To the point, I was in the woods uh, a couple weeks ago. Dylan told me he had this post come out and I sat on a stream reading his newsletter because it was just so worth reading and I learned so much and and I don't obsessively read newsletters and I couldn't believe how much value he was delivering. Also, kind of funny story today that this randomly reminded me of. Yeah. But I've been learning Spanish for the past six months. Yeah. And Hola, como estas? You're pushing it. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm not conversational. I can, I can go further. But I've been reading... So, I do like a bunch of different apps and I found the Spanish newsletter on our platform Yeah. on like the crypto space. Yeah. So I signed up. It comes like, th- it comes very consistently. It's very well researched Yeah. three times a week. And I mean, it takes me much longer to read, but like I read it, it's like part of a practice. I was randomly like testing accounts today and I went into their account and saw that they only had three subscribers. And like, I don't know, I was like so thrown off because like I read it religiously and I'm yeah. like one third of their reader base. Yeah. But it's also such a well put together production that I was like, they're putting in a lot of effort for yeah. three readers. So I don't know, that was just like a r- funny encounter. What's the name of the newsletter? I don't want to call them out because they only have three oh, but <laughs> subscribers. Oh, but we can get the more subscribers. No, it makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. Because well, also yeah. like I have like the, yeah. the God view of being yeah. able to go into everyone's account, which like I don't yeah. abuse, but totally, like, I just totally. so happen to like no, test totally the feature. Makes sense. Yeah. So I don't want to put the, blow yeah. up the spot. Maybe they could go viral from this yeah. or maybe I just embarrass them and they Yeah, no, totally. So. It makes sense. <laughs> well, I'll keep them in mind. Privately, if you, off if you the need record, a crypto newsletter in Spanish, yeah, there, I'm sure there's many, but I recommend the one on Beehive and shoot me a DM and yeah. I will tell you about it. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool, Tyler. Thanks for hanging out with this the Wheel and Deck podcast. This is great. The first experimental episode outside because this is what I this is what I want my life to be. Why not? Right? This is what I want my life to be. I feel like. I'm just so tired of being trapped indoors and I'm and that's the thing it's it's I haven't actually been trapped I just perceived that I was trapped and I'm like wait but am I I could like go about I'm living you in Los hike Angeles up Brentwood 20 minutes right? up a very steep hill <laughs> and be out of breath right and record a podcast at the same time totally 100% if you want to connect and collaborate with more amazing people in the LA tech community remember go to wearelatech.com slash community that's wearelatech.com slash community say hello on social at wearelatech on Twitter on Instagram on Facebook I will see you guys talk to you guys all the things in the next episode bye adios this was so much fun that I am now, I think, going to decline remote podcast <laughs> opportunities. 
Hey, this is Tyler Dank, co-founder and CEO of Beehive. Beehive's an all-in-one product studio for newsletters. I'm based in West LA, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production.